This is Strange Assembly episode 147, Gen Con 2014 in review, part 3. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. I'm here with Mike Cook. Hey. And Jay Earl. Hello. For the uh, third part of our look at all the goings-on, or at least the fraction of the goings-on that we were able to experience at the 2014 Gen Con. This episode, like the two before it, is going to be an overall look at Gen Con. In the next couple of episodes after this one, you'll hear some more detailed information about Legend of the Five Rings and also more strategic insight into Doomtown. We're going to start with Saturday today because we covered Wednesday and Thursday and Friday in our prior two episodes. On Saturday, like on Friday, Jay did very well in Doomtown. So you'll hear some about that, but we're really going to get more into the the strategy and a later thing. Same with me and L5R, except that I didn't really do well in L5R on Saturday. But but still, that's when we'll talk about it in the L5R episode. Okay, so Jay, on Saturday, you played Doomtown again, and you made Top 16 again, is that right? Yes. And once again, after that, I lost in the first round of the Top 16. Now, did you play the exact same deck on both days? No, so I made major changes to my deck Friday night, realizing what some of my weaknesses were, trying to shore them up some, change how the deck played a little, get rid of a number of cards that I thought were going to be really strong that it turned out just weren't. It being the first time I played. (laughs) Yeah. This was one of the high noon Doomtown tournaments. Am I correct in recalling that prior to the Doomtown tournament, you were in the Legend of the Five Rings tournament, and then after the Doomtown tournament, you were at L5R Big Extravaganza? Yes. Okay, see? I knew this Saturday was going to go faster. <laughs> faster than the other days, but but Mike, you you did something other than play in an LCG or CCG tournament on Saturday shortly. Yeah, I actually had a uh, 12 o'clock session for the Shadow on the Moon Sea 5th edition D&D adventure, which is actually a four-hour adventure. It was really good. Had some ghost pirates and small towns with terrible people and all kinds of other generally great things. I just had a solo ticket, and I got paired up with, of course, five other people with solo tickets. But the table gelled very well. No one was really trying to get all the attention, and everybody kind of pitched in. I I had a a great time with it. I really, really enjoy 5th edition. And then, actually, sorry, before that, I went over with Jay to the uh, AEG area and found some other friends who were over there, other Atlanta area friends who were in the AEG area, and uh, found out Versus had apparently been released as an LCG. And I also found a couple friends who were uh, playing Doomtown and building Doomtown. So I played a few Doomtown games in my Law Dogs deck that I had rebuilt after watching the Friday Finals and Jay playing the top 16 did very, very well. But that that was most of it. Then after the Moon Sea, 
Shadow and the Moon Seed. The only other thing I did was just I met up with you guys during the L5R game night and just talked to AEG folks. My Saturday was also similarly CCG-filled. I came in for the Second Chance Storyline event for Legend of the Five Rings. I played through to that. I did not well, by my standards at least. I made the, the elimination rounds, which were very easy to make because of the structure of these particular tournaments, which you can hear more about if you if you listen to the Legend of the Five Rings episode that will come at some point shortly after this one. But then I lost in the first round there, which actually left me with a little bit of time to go into the dealer's hall and do things like check out what on earth it was that was new in the Fantasy Flight booth as a result of the in-flight report on Friday, because it's not like I went to that. And the big one, of course, was, well, at least to me, the big one, uh, I'm pretty sure to most people the big one, was the announcement about Imperial Assault, which I guess was styled as it's like Descent with Star Wars, in that, you know, you have players doing rebellion types against a game master who's controlling Imperial forces. That's a lot of figures that are going to be in the box. It's coming in at a $100 price point. It's it's absolutely something that I want to follow up on. I took some pictures of their current versions of the sculpts. And it, it's kind of interesting to me how I, as much as I like X-Wing and will probably like Armada, I don't go into those because they're along the lines of a, of a CCG. To me, they're the sort of thing that benefit from you want to keep on buying more figures so you can and get new stuff and customize your army and try different things, and they reward having played a lot and learning strategies and, and honing your tactics, and you just only have so much time in, in your world for that sort of thing. But Imperial Assault... The essential gameplay experience of that does not require me to go and play against somebody else who may be massively better equipped than I am because he has kept up with all the new releases and has been able to hone and customize his deck, whatever, right? It's, it's more like a board, a, a standard board game where, well, you can buy an expansion or not. You don't have to because if you don't buy it, well, then you're all still just playing with the same copy of the game and nobody's at a competitive advantage. So although this is still coming in at that high price point because of how much stuff they're loading into the box, it's something that I think that I am more likely to end up buying than Armada. Well, I would say from the descriptions I've heard from FFG after watching videos later, it sounds like they are going to push the tactical part of it just as hard as they do the single player part or the board game part, not single, single the board game part. But the nice thing is, if you don't want to pay attention to that part, you don't have to, and you can just play it as the single player part. But if you like both aspects, then you're getting kind of both things with the game, because they said it came with they're coming. It's coming with a Vader pack and a Luke pack in the box. That's what part of why it's like a hundred dollars. And those type of packs are what they will release to increase the stuff in the game, everything is basically going to come with both that board game component and with the head-to-head component. So it's kind of nice that, you know, whichever side you want, 
you're getting something for it. And if you want both sides of it, then, hey, great, you're really getting your value. Okay, yeah, I had not realized that they had followed up with that. Well, I, I don't think they pushed it as much during the table demo. They were really just showing it as, like, the Descent game. But apparently they are going to push it just as much as, like, an X-Wing. Okay, I will have to uh, monitor that because they... I, Yeah. But once again, you could just ignore it and just play it as the board game and be perfectly fine and never get any of the expansions. Yes, and and some decade Benjamin will be old enough to really play these things with me, and then <laughs> it will be awesome. There were some other things that Fantasy Flight announced, but I I don't know. I guess I can only think of one that seemed particularly noteworthy because they were mostly things like. Yes, here we're announcing the next Netrunner Deluxe Box. We're announcing the next Lord of the Rings Deluxe Box. We're announcing an expansion for Eldritch Horror, just sort of like routine housekeeping things. The only other announcement that seemed noteworthy, which I did not even notice until Mike told me about it later, is that they're actually adding a third faction of ships into the X-Wing miniatures game, and so you will now be able to play Scum and Villainy and have Bounty Hunters and Black Sun operatives, and I I don't know how much detail they gave at the in-flight report, but that's actually up on their website now, so the so Wave 5, if I recall correctly, Wave 5 of the, ex, of the ships is what they've been talking about up to this point, and that's, I mean, like a couple of big base things, like when they had the wave that was the Falcon and the Fire Spray. So these scum and villainy will be wave six, and there will be three normal sorts of expansions, like two that are small fighter expansions and one large fighter expansion. And then there will be one that will have be a, a bigger expansion that seems like it would be more like the size of what the core set originally was, where it's going to come with a Y-Wing and two Z-95 headhunters. And those are all existing sculpts, but there will be new paint jobs for the Scum and Villainy faction. And then it will also come with cards that are related, that are for use with the Fire Spray, the existing Fire Spray model, and the existing HWK 290 figure. Because obviously, you know, the signature character for Scum and Villainy is Boba Fett, who's the guy who is the reason why there's a Fire Spray figure at all. They didn't announce anything about a new paint jobs on those, but I wouldn't be surprised if they came up with something, or maybe the existing paint job on the fire spray is just what Boba Fett's fire spray looked like anyway, so there's no need to, but it will, there will be a different scum and villainy version of Boba Fett instead of the, you're playing with the Imperials version of Boba Fett. Yeah, and the, uh, the two scum and villainy single expansions are the, IG-8000, I think, which is the IG-88s, or it's, I think it's the IG-2000, because it's IG-88's ship. Yes. A- and Prince Shizor's ship. And I didn't even remember what the heck that was, and that's the large base one. Yeah. Yeah, so I then, while you guys were being smart and going and eating dinner on Saturday, I went and did a ticketed demo of Consequential, because that was something I had wanted to make sure that I checked out at Gen Con and and hadn't been able to beforehand. And Consequential was one of these games where they were doing demos of it in anticipation of launching a Kickstarter at some point after 
Gen Con. This is another fully cooperative game, and it's another game that had a necessary interaction with an app. Again, same sort of thing. They're going to release it for everything that they can possibly release it for it, and the app is free, and it will present a story. The first, there will be one act in the initial release they're planning, which would then have five episodes, five different story sections that you could play for, and then if it does well, then there would be a you know, a second season of it that has even more acts and more episodes, and there's some sort of dimensional time conflux going on, and so you've got these... There's five different characters, so you can have up to five different players. If you don't have five players, then the pawn representing the NPC is in the game, for a reason I'll mention later, but it, it doesn't really seem to suffer for them not being there. It's one of these things where every player turn, there's a the clock counts down, essentially, so more players just makes the deck... It still goes at one player turn per click on the the clock. And you are trying to, in phase one of the game, you're trying to stabilize these different regions of the map. One of the ways that you're doing that, and just generally you're trying to promote these cards up onto a central board where there's a, a circle and a little the eye that moves around the board as time goes on it moves once per turn, and one new card comes out every turn, and then when the deck runs out, you hit phase two, and now you set aside all the stuff in the regions, but you get a certain number of pulses based on how well you've done stabilizing regions in in phase one, and now you're working entirely with the, the central circular board, and what you have to do is is use your different dice rolls to activate abilities that will let you rearrange how things are on this circle, basically like you're solving a puzzle. And the the more pulses you have, the more opportunities you have to, to once you've spent a die, to re-roll it and, and get more uses out of it. And the app integration comes from, from two different things. First, during the initial phase... There are story aspects that you are playing out. Like every time you close a region, there will be a little vignette where the characters are chatting. Then in the second phase, the app is going to dictate how fast you have to do things, so it's a real time. Now, unfortunately, I was not able to really get the full experience of some of that because it is a pre-production thing. So they didn't have all the voice acting in yet for the story elements. although. The woman who was doing the demo that I was in actually was the voice actress for the character that she was playing in the demo game, so that was kind of fun. But more importantly, they had found for demo purposes that I guess the actual real-time element just destroyed people. (laughs) Basically, after half a day, they had stopped turning on the timers for the the real-time element, which makes the end of the game completely different, right? It's completely different when, again, everybody has the chance to discuss what the strategy should be and how to solve the puzzle versus you have to doing it in real time and kind of on the fly. So uh, I I think I'd I'd like to see, again, the chance to go through that and see how the end works out and how that feels playing it with the clock on you, because I think that would feel, feel very different. But 
regardless, I, I think we can expect to see that on Kickstarter soon. So, right, I mean, the version I saw, I mean, it, it had probably what were early copies of things from the printer where they were still working on the proofs. There were a number of things where they had to say, well, the printer messed this up. And so, of course, in the real version, that would be corrected. But nothing was the final component. Some of the things weren't the final quality components. So I can't really give a, a specific opinion about that sort of thing. But And so after I got that done, then it was time to go over to the L5R big extravaganza. Gamers are probably more familiar with the L5R, or, or familiar with the L5R, not the L5R, but the AEG big game night which was on Friday night this weekend, and that sells out in about three seconds at Gen Con. It uh, involves AEG giving you a swag box of games that are worth like two or three times as much as you paid for the ticket. It's crazy. And so what they did this year was they also had basically an L5R night that was similar in scope. You got a swag box. The swag box had L5R packs, but it also had L5R skinned versions of other games. So you had an L5R version of Lost Legacy, you had L5R Guildhall, and you had an L5R 7th Hero all in there. And I, I don't know if there's going to be any other way to get those other other than having gone to there. To, to the best of my knowledge, they do not add anything mechanically new. It's just the art and the, the card titles and things like that. So it's not like it's a game that nobody can get, but I don't know if that version is going to be otherwise available. That's a big part of the thing. That was the night that we were probably, I think that we were out the longest. I think we were absolutely destroyed by the time we got back to our hotel on Saturday. Do we leave anything else out about Saturday? Do we want to talk about your, I mean, I figure talking about your LED lighted costume, which can probably wait until the L5R episode, Jay. Sure. Well, there is one thing that we all entirely missed, apparently, which is that FFG did also announce that they're putting out Battle Lore as an app on, like, tablets and, I think, iPhone? I don't know. But specifically on tablet, and apparently they had it on the game floor, uh, on the Gen Con floor. They announced that at a Friday on noon, and none of us ever saw it. I don't know how that managed to happen, because I walked through their area, like, 50 times, but... Apparently that did. I did not see that at all at Gen Con. I was just watching their recap videos, and they mentioned it, and they showed it on the floor. And I'm like, well, I don't see that actually on the floor, so I'm just going to pretend you're lying to me, FFG. (laughs) There was that, and there was Obsidian is doing an app of the Pathfinder Adventure card game. I think that got announced there as well, or maybe got announced right before that. Yeah, it was well. It was like the the trade day they announced it. Basically, okay. I was sitting in the hotel when I uh, read a bulletin or whatever. Well, let's click over to the final day, Sunday. This is always an odd feeling day at Gen Con, right? It's it's the day where people sometimes people start to check out before the end. The dealers hall closes at four, and so once you get past three o'clock. Everybody's starting to get ready to go, especially, you know, the poor volunteers that are working for the companies at these things, right? They've been working their butts off for four days straight demoing games. They, We go there and play games. We talk uh, about how exhausted we are, and we get to choose 
what we want to do and go where we want to go and we get to take breaks if we want to take breaks and these guys I mean they get a lunch but they're there just demoing the same thing over and over again having to maintain the energy and attention that it takes to do that sort of thing so they they get a little worn down sometimes by the the end of the day on on Sunday but what what did you check out on Sunday Jay so I tried to do the paint and play, but the line was too long. I went by the Hex booth and got the Mercenary and played a couple games of that. But mostly I just hung out with the AG people, chatted with them, and then saw the finals of the of both the Dark Naga and the main event and heard the big announcement. Yes, Naga are returning as a faction. Yep. Any of you who know anything about L5R, that's that's a big deal. We'll talk about that, of course, more on the L5R podcast. And I think when you're talking about the miniatures, am I correct that that was specifically the Reaper miniatures paint and take? Yeah. They gave you a brush, they gave you a figure, and you got uh, and then you know you could sit down there and paint it. Yes. That was the idea, anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it was super popular and just got there too late, so didn't get to actually paint it. I mean, they were still giving away the brushes and the figs. You just, there weren't enough space and time for you to actually paint it. Well, we expect a fully painted fig from you, Jay. We want to see a picture. They gave you a figure. You have to paint it. Okay. I will probably have time to do that sometime in November. That sounds reasonable. (laughs) (laughs) I understand the feeling. Uh, what did you check out on Sunday, Mike? Your list and my list are going to be a lot of the same because we were mostly going to demos and in the dealer hall on on Sunday. Yeah, it was kind of the last hall through the dealer's room. So the main thing for me, oh gosh, what was the name? I completely forgot about this game when I was writing down my list. What was the name of the game we took a demo for, the very first game? Legacy Gears of Time. Legacy Gears of Time, yeah. So we played that. Which I thought was a pretty clever game. It definitely makes you think in different ways. I kind of wish I got a chance to play it again because the mechanics didn't quite work how I thought they would. Actually, they ended up working better than I thought they did. But because I had that basic misunderstanding, I made a few big misplays and it, it just was frustrating. Not so much that I lost, but just because it wasn't quite what I thought it was. Uh, I guess if that makes any sense. Yeah. But I actually liked mechanics once I figured out how they worked. And apparently the game's been around since 2012. Overall, I liked it. It's something I'd probably definitely pick up if I get the chance. Like Epic Resort, that was from Floodgate, is the the publisher on that one. Yep. Then I, we went over and talked to, we went through the Artist Alley real quick, just browsed all that. We went over and I, we inquired about the verses. I guess I, I guess this is technically the first thing to do. It does. Yeah, it does. the exact order is unimportant. Yeah, I, I know. I'm just going through my head, and I just realized it was, yeah. it, but it doesn't matter. So I went over to the uh, upper deck because I had found out about the first is LCG that they put out from uh, the friend, as we mentioned, I think on another podcast. It, it doesn't matter, another episode. So we went over there because I wanted to check it out and see what, what, what all was going on with it. So we asked the lady at the booth, and apparently we found out, you know, it is going to be an LCG. It was like 50 bucks, but you got all of the cards. It was a complete playset of everything. 
and you also got a t-shirt. They kind of announced it, but really it was more like a test bed because she said that they were really looking to see how popular it was at that show. And then depending on how well it did at Gen Con, and really it must have just had word of mouth because that's the only way I knew of it. And that's how that's the only way a lot of people knew of it that I spoke to you. It seemed like they were doing pretty thorough business because they had boxes marked for like the certain days that they had. But I ended up purchasing that because I liked Versus back in the day when it was out. I actually never really played against human mu- humans much. I had the PSP version, which was the exact same game. It was just, you know, I could play it against AI or whatever. You know, I wasn't in like the real Versus meta, but I enjoyed that game enough. So, and I like LCGs. And even if it's just a one shot product, it's, I think it's good enough to ha- uh, have because it, it does give you a place of everything. And in fact, because it has Sentinels, and Sentinels are army, which means you can have any number of them in your deck instead of just four, you get a ton of Sentinels. <laughs> I don't know exactly how much you'd really mix up the factions, because they basically just gave you two packs of the exact same thing. But honestly, the starter deck's not far off of what I would play from my actual constructed deck. But that's fine. Partially, I purchase it just because I have fond memories of Versus, and I have a lot of friends who would really love if Versus came back. The very interesting thing about that, though, besides all of that, was that it was literally called a living card game, which is a trademark of Fantasy Flight, and they didn't have any kind of trademark or anything addressing the Fantasy Flight thing anywhere in that booth. So I have no idea. I have maybe they talked to Fantasy Flight or whatever, but yeah, that was that was real interesting because it was right on the box. It was right on their signage. It was on the backs of the cards that they printed. I was like, oh, that's that's weird. Yeah, that was surprising to me as well. I have not in any way gone and done any research on this, but I mean, there's a distinction between a trademark of the of Fantasy Flight's LCG logo and a distinction of a versus just the term "living card game." I. Th- thought fantasy flight had registered trademarks on both of those because you could have something that is a trademark whether or not you've registered it as a trademark or although actually you know what probably the easiest thing to do would be let's see lcg living card game that's a registered trademark it says it on the box yes living card game are trademarks or registered trademarks of fantasy flight so the I mean, there are technical distinctions between registering a trademark and having a trademark and what the production is, but they are at least claiming that those are trademarks. So, theoretically, from Fantasy Flight's perspective, Versus would be violating that trademark unless they they licensed it, because it just seems really unlikely if anybody is thinking at the company that they would be like, oh, well, we know this is a trademark. Like, I don't know how they could not realize that it was a trademark, or how they could realize that it was a trademark and then be like, oh, you know what, let's just try to do it anyway. I will tell you, Chris, is because it is Upper Deck Entertainment. They just are what they are. I don't know how to explain it. They've had a long history of stuff where they, it was just like, why are you... Well, even the way that they launched Versus, they didn't put anything out ahead of time, yet they're using this to determine whether or not they'd actually want to bring it out as a full product. I don't know. A lot of that just doesn't make sense to me. Like, wouldn't you want to give it the best chance if you really want to see, you know, if you really want to gauge how much popularity it's going to have? Yeah, 
my feeling on that is that they are planning on doing it, that they would not even get to this far in the process if they weren't planning on doing it. And so the notion that it's a test is not, I mean, it may be that if it does really badly that they'll decide not to do it, but I, I would think that their anticipation is that they were going to do it. They've gotten to the point where they've done graphic redesign of cards, so they right. obviously think that there's a, a strong chance that, that this will work. Oh, well, I mean, but one thing is that I'd be interested to see if they get the DC license back. Well, I don't know if they ever technically lost the DC license, but you know, one of the big things about Versus was that they had DC and they had Marvel. Obviously, they still have Marvel because they've got Legendary. So this probably kind of fits under that same license ag- licensing agreement. Completely, you know, guessed by me, but it would make sense. Cryptozoic has DC now. Yeah, who knows? But that's fine. Like I said, it was just kind of a one-off type of thing. I had talked to a couple of people around here, gotten it, and I was like, you know what, I'll get it too, and if we just play a few games, I'll be happy with it. I can always bust it out. It's a very easy game to teach. It's really not hard. Yeah, I was a little surprised by how uh, about how it was assembled. Like, you took off the sleeve, and it was just a white cardboard card box inside, and the rule sheet was just one glossy piece of paper. There wasn't like a rule book. It was literally just a rule sheet. And, and yeah, like you said, it's it's the same kind of price point that a single LCG box would be for a, a starter box that is, but it has a full playset of everything. But it should be noted that one of the reasons why it has a full playset of everything is it has a much smaller overall number of cards. I imagine you, right, you don't have a lot of construction options for the X-Men deck versus the Brotherhood deck versus whatever, because it's there's just a limited number of options in there. So, yes, you bought it. I will just wait and see what they actually do with it. Let me tell you this much. If they don't ever reuse any cards in this playset, it will not be any big loss. These are just like the original set cards. When One of the things with Versus is it kind of had some ridiculous power curve that happened, so I'm hoping they'll ramp back from that and, like, call out but if they never reprint any of these these are the x-men there's the x-men stuff in here which is a, a kind of a, ne- a little negative for you and a positive for me though so as far as the, uh, the faction selection then it's not that i hate the x-men it's just do somebody else <laughs> every time they do something hey let's do the x-men no please stop with the x-men but it, it's easy for a card game because there's a whole bunch of different characters yeah they're they're popular and there's a bunch of different characters i mean it's Spider-Man is popular too, but it's hard to do a whole faction of Spider-Man. It has to be it's, Spider-Man it's really and not, friends. It's well, yeah, but I mean, you can just do the Avengers because he's yeah. in the Avengers. So that's your second option is like for a team thing is the Avengers, but it's sometimes easy to forget that. I think right now, at this very second, the Avengers are more popular than they have ever been because of the fantastic way that Marvel Disney has structured the current set of movies. Remember, before they did that, a lot of people were very skeptical about that. The Avengers were... It was basically described as all these second-rate Marvel characters smushed together because that's all that they had left, because Sony and Fox had licensed the characters that people actually wanted. They licensed some of the more popular, but there's a lot... Marvel has a huge stable, so... They do. They, they, were, do. they were okay. Uh, yeah, they would love to have those characters back, and they make you know they make no qualms about saying that. But yeah, it kept Marvel going at a time. So in a way, you know, what can they do? 
No, no, yeah, it it's all worked out fine. And on the bright side for that, if you're the person who likes to see Marvel movies, it does ensure that, like, studio resources aren't an issue. Well, and thankfully for me, if you look at Legendary, like, the very first expansion to Legendary, because Legendary had a whole bunch of different characters, and they had Spider-Man in there. I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. The first expansion was really kind of more of an X-Men also type of expansion, although it had, you know, a lot more stuff, but it was another X-Men theme. But the very next set they put out was a Spider-Man set, so... That's something, you know, if it's a popular character, they're going to try and capitalize on it. Yeah, didn't they have a... Is that the one that pretty quickly had a Fantastic Four expansion? Sorry, Fantastic Four did come out before Paint the Town Red. Yeah. But Fantastic Four, okay, I just, I'm a Spider-Man fan. Yeah. Even though I only kind of liked Legendary, I still had it, so I went ahead and bought the Town Red. Because it's also inexpensive, actually, for an expansion. So, let's see... You and I also went and did a ticketed demo of Lords of Zidit, which was on both of our We Want to Try to Check This Out while we're on Gen, Gen Con lists. On my Friday through the exhibit hall, I had been able to watch part of a demo, but it really wasn't enough for me to get any kind of handle on it, so I definitely wanted to check out one of these full game demos. And distinctive things about it, I would say, are that it has programmed movement, and then the end of the game, the the end of the game scoring is works. This you have three different categories, and for the first two categories, it's just who's the lowest, they're eliminated. Okay, that person's gone. Then the next category, who's the lowest, they're eliminated, and then the third category is just who has more. So each time when you're playing, that can adjust what your strategy is because the order that those three things are applied in will change. So it just changes how you want to approach it. And so the, the gameplay is that you're you're moving around the map and you've got cities where you collect the resources, which are peasants and archers and knights and priests and wizards. And then you use those to go and defeat monsters, and then also every three or four years, depending on whether you're playing a 9 or 12 turn game, there's kind of a... It's blind bidding, technically, but mostly it's just whoever has the most of this kind of guy can get a little extra bonus, so if you haven't been able to get to the monsters quite as efficiently because of where they happen to have popped up, I think it gives you a little bit extra for still having these resource guys sitting in your pool. Well, I will say that the game that we were playing, if nothing else, everybody was new to that game. So yeah, it's just go ahead and show everything. However, because you have to program your movement, I think there is something very valid. Like, if we're both a space away from the thing that requires a peasant, and I don't show any peasants, you're like, oh, well, I've got some time to get some peasants or whatever, and I can potentially fake you out. Yes, the, the purpose of not showing everything and the purpose of having it being a blind bidding thing, I mean, and you get everything back so nobody's giving anything up by, by what their bid was, is, is you're concealing information. It's one of those games where, theoretically, you could keep track of every single thing that every single person has, but if you tried to do that, it would be hard and you would just not have any fun with that. But... I really liked it. It was, you know, once we got to play it. Now, of course, by the time we got to play it on Sunday afternoon, it was sold out. So we'll just have to wait for it to show up on cool stuff or at the store or whatever. But apparently the retail on that game is like 60. So yes, yes. 
I liked it a lot. And if nothing else, I just want to specifically say the minis that they had for the little guys that you put on the stands, they didn't have to have little plastic figures for that, but those guys had very nice sculpts. They looked really, really good. Oh my god, I just, I love that art style that they have because it, it really, like, it flows over from seasons or whatever and it's just right up my alley. Yeah, and I, apparently, not that I've gotten enough into seasons to be able to, I mean, I, I adore seasons, but I, don't, I couldn't tell you who any of the characters in season are, but apparently there are actual characters that carry over. Well, the, a lot of the monsters were just straight up the artwork from seasons. Yeah, so that was Lords that did, so that will, I, one of us at least will end up buying that at the appropriate time. The very last thing I did in the dealer hall was to look at Jupiter Rescue. And now this was in the after 3 o'clock time. So this was really just me going, hey, could you just give me a little overview of this? I know you're tired and are just waiting for it to be done. But <laughs> Jupiter Rescue is a game where, again, you have a board that is hex, there's large hex tiles. And... You are robots, and you are trying to rescue the crew of this space station, I think, as the creeps are overrunning it, and I am i think that's some sort of space zombie. I don't know. You Each of you has little powers, and you've got a certain number of action points, and you have to run around and shepherd the humans and try to keep the creeps away from them, and then every time you manage to get seven humans to an escape pod, they zoom off, and then you get to land the escape pod tile somewhere else. The creeps manage to fill up one of the tiles, then they break off and reduce your future options. That was the the Twilight Creations booth, and it was interesting enough that I wanted to at least get like the little rules explanation, but there just wasn't time for a, a demo, so that's something I'll have to go and take a gander at again. Jupiter Rescue. Destination Neptune. You just gotta put the name of a planet in your, your game, and I at least want to take a look at it, apparently. And I guess we accidentally cut over because we transferred out of Versus, but I also went over and bought Valley of the Kings from the AEG booth because it was the line was really short. So Valley of the Kings is quite good. When the review copy of that showed up here, I had completely forgotten that that game was even coming out. It had been announced, but then we just heard nothing about it, and it's really good. And it's it's this nice, short, little, unique deck builder thing. Very good. I take everybody's word for it. I have not gotten to play it yet. Yeah, yeah. We had a, a number of things. We played L5R, the L5R Guildhall, which is the first time you had played Guildhall, but we had played it. We also did on Sunday play the L5R 7th Hero, and none of us have, have ever played whatever the normal version of 7th Hero is, but I think this is just the same thing, but reskinned. What did you think about 7th Hero, Jay? I enjoyed it. Let's move on just a logic puzzle, a lot of luck involved. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think it's a pretty good lighter filler game. So in 7th Hero, there are seven different cards in the deck, numbered 1 through 7. For the L5R's version, they're the original seven thunders representing the, the seven the original great clans. And you start with two heroes in play of two different numbers, and the object is to get six different heroes into play, and then you win. If you ever would get a second copy of the same hero in play, you discard both of them. So what you do on on your turn, you will flip over the top card of the central deck, and that will be one of the heroes, and that will put some sort of limitation on you. Odd numbers, even numbers, low numbers, high numbers. And you have to look at your hand 
and choose one of the cards in your hand that meets the requirements imposed, and you put it face down and you pass it to the player to your left, and they have to choose to pass the card or to recruit it, and it will keep on going around until finally, if it gets back to you, you have to recruit it. And so you have to try to deduce based on what the different people have and what the restriction is, what what it probably is, and whether or not you want to try to recruit it. Because if it's one you need, you're that step closer to winning. If it's one you already have, well, then now you're one step further away from winning. I was not impressed with, with this one. It did not have anything in it that excited me to make me want to go back and, and pull it out again after we had played it a few times. If I had it in my collection, I would not necessarily get rid of it, but it's not something I'd go out and buy. That's very odd recommendation. Not recommendation. I don't know. We don't dislike it, but out of this batch of small games, at least that we've played, like we've, at this point we've played Lost Legacy, we've played Valley of the Kings, so we have not played Say Bye to the Villains, we have not played Cypher, I think was another new one. I also have to say I love it when they that they have another batch of cards like the Lost Legacy and the Cypher that are in the little drawstring bra- bags like their the original AEG love letter was. I really like those. They're they're cute and they're they're good for carrying around. Have you played Sail to India yet? Yes. Yes. I I played that. I like Valley of the Kings better than Sail to India, but I actually like Sail to India. So Sail to India I would definitely recommend. I would recommend Over Seventh Hero, although it's a completely different kind of game. So I don't know what that that signifies. I mean Sail to India is like a little mini Euro game. It definitely takes longer than the other small box games do. It's a it's a Euro game. It, I mean, you've got wooden cubes in it. It's not a car. It's not a card game like most of the these little small box games are. But yeah, the last sort of thing we did was was kind of catching up after the the con shutdown on Sunday with some of the stuff that we had bought. Then we've already talked about that. We we played 40k, we played Shadowrun, we played Guildhall, we played 7th Hero. And then on Monday, we headed back down to Atlanta, spent a couple hours sitting in a parking lot on the highway in Tennessee. Fun, fun, fun! Any last thoughts about Gen Con this year, guys? Uh, no, because we just got back from Gen Con yesterday, and I am not capable of thought yet. Yeah, no, no. And we've already had... Second... All, all told, three hours to talk about it. So, so that was a much of our Gen Con for 2014 in three parts. Stick around for future episodes if you want to hear some more in-depth Doomtown and Legend of the Five Rings discussion. And then heaven only knows what the, the podcast schedule is going to work out like after that. I've got a whole list of possible Gen Con interview follow-ups that people wanted to do that we may be seeing we've got games that we played just before gen con that there was no opportunity to to talk about those before gen con happened and we haven't talked about now because we've been talking about gen con so i do not know where we are going to find the time but we will endeavor but you have been listening to strange assembly you can check us out at www.strangeassembly.com You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can visit us at facebook.com slash strangeassembly or follow us at strangeassembly on Twitter. I always like to hear your thoughts and feedback, even if it's negative. So email me 
chris at strangeassembly.com. But until then, for Jay Earl and Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.